everyone. Welcome into another episode of the Sports Plus Podcast. It's the week of March 22nd. I'm Corey Miller here with Frank Cusimano, Andy Moeller, and Hannah Yates. And my bracket has been in the trash for about three days now, uh, give or take. Uh, let's start with the NCAA tournament because uh, if we all picked like we did in our last episode, I think everybody's bracket's in the trash. Uh, this is, I'll, I'll trade that though, because this has been one of the most fun tournaments I can remember watching because of all the upsets. First off, we'll go with the upsets. What's been everybody's favorite to watch? Because my favorite part about the tournament is getting way into a game that I don't care about either of the teams, and that's happened many a time so far. So, Andy, what do you got? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, it, I think it's, I'm just amazed that Oral Roberts not only made it through Ohio State, but they made it through Florida um, as well. I mean, nobody could have seen that coming, I don't think. Uh, and I, I, I think somebody tweeted out the other day. It was like a fake Urban Meyer account and said, "What's uh, Oral Robert against my got against the teams I used to coach?" <laughs> <laughs> Frank, don't don't go uh, Loyola in Illinois. Yeah, we'll get there. But other than that, what kind of big upsets uh, oh, really uh, uh, really got you going? That's exactly what I was going to do. That's the greatest game ever. I love it to death. <laughs> Even though I'm not an Illinois basher, I wanted them to make. Uh, I wanted them to win the national championship. Um. I think, you know, Syracuse's run is fascinating. Now, think about this for a second. Jim Beheim is 76 years old. Who coaches basketball when they're 76? And who has a child when they're 55? Yes, Buddy Beheim was born when Jim was 55. I mean, can you imagine if, if you're like 53 years old and you're Jim Beheim, like you're 53? Hey, Jim, you're going to have a kid in two years and you're going to be coaching. Uh, 22 or 23 years after that. I mean, it's an unbelievable run and it wouldn't shock me, you know, if it continues, although Houston is really, really impressive. Hannah, what, uh, what upset uh, were you most excited watching? Well, I'm sorry, but I do have to touch on Loyola because Sister Jean's pregame prayer. I mean, afterwards, I was like, I think they're going to win again. Like, I think that's, that's just going to have to give them the power there. But watching that one, watching Texas, um, there's so many, I mean, it's just, it's been unbelievable, but I would have to say the Loyola Illinois one. I was just watching that in disbelief, to be honest. Let's dig more into that Illinois game that Hannah just brought up. Uh, title hopes come crashing down against Loyola on Sunday. Frank, it was just a Porter Moser clinic out there against Brad Underwood and people really shouldn't be surprised. I don't think. No, um, Corey, the greatest game that I ever saw coached in my life. Uh, was in 1998 when Rick Majerus was the head coach at Utah and they faced the defending national champion, Arizona Wildcats, who had uh, Bibby and Simon and Geary and Jason Terry and all those great guards. Uh, they were unbelievable. Well, Majerus before the game decides to do something he's never done. He did a, a triangle and two. They held that team that had averaged 90 to scoring in the 50s. The second greatest game I ever saw coached was the one yesterday by the Rick Majerus Apostle Porter Moser. They're the best defensive team in America for a reason. And they asked their big fella, Cameron Crutwig, to not only, you know, deal with the big fella, but also to help on those high screens with Io. It, it, he, he guarded Kofi. He guarded Io. It was just a beautiful, beautiful game. But it isn't anything new. My, my son, who's a Loyola grad, said, this is not anything new. This is what we've done all season long. Share the basketball and play defense. They're, they're absolutely insane and a love Porter. Anytime 
Illinois tried to do something. There were two Loyola guys there waiting for him. It was just, it was just awesome to watch just from a schematic uh, perspective. And the Illinois guards did not step up to the plate. Andy, this was the most talented team for Illinois in at least 15 years. Ends in the second round. Just how much of a disappointment is this? Oh, I think it's a huge disappointment. I think, uh, you know, if you're, if you're an Illinois fan, if you're an Illinois student, uh, I think you, you know, you were kind of, you know, expecting that uh, you were going to uh, be welcoming back a national champion at, at some point, or at the very least you were going to, you were, they were going to get to the finals. So to have them come crashing down in the first round or the second round, sorry about that, um, is, um, you know, probably had a lot of, uh, a lot of chins hitting the floor. Uh, you know, I, you know, to watch Crutwig yesterday, he was really, he was really impressive. He had no problem bodying up with the Illinois big men. Uh, he said he was kind of surprised that, uh, you know, the Coburn just kind of sagged off and just kind of, you know, played, uh, played the middle. But there was one sequence yesterday where he went up to play the pick and roll. He was expecting the switch. It didn't happen. Crutwig just shot right behind him and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, Coburn had to goaltend the shot in order to keep it from going in. So, I mean, they just had, they just had Illinois just completely confoozled. And yes, that is a word. Yes, they had them confoozled. I think it's pretty awesome that guys that look like Cameron Crutwig and Luca Garza can be really good at basketball. I like watching those, those guys that are not typically the basketball bodies look, looking really good, but Hannah, you, uh, you're on the Loyola train and Sister Jean train. How long can they keep this going? They, that's a winnable uh, part of the bracket now for them, I think. Honestly, <laughs> how long can all of these teams keep going? Like Oral Roberts, I'm watching this. I'm like, anything can happen at this point. I think Loyola can win their next game. I think Sister Jean, with, with her on your side, apparently they can keep this run going for quite a while. Well, I bet the ranch that they're going to pound Oregon State. Oregon State wasn't even a team on the bubble. They're one of the worst teams in the Pac-12. How in that Sam heck is Oregon State in the Sweet 16? But Loyola's going to blast them, and they're going to meet that Calvin Sampson team uh, in the regional final. That's going to be special in the Midwest. That'll be a good one. And, and now we got to go to Mizzou. Handles the old saying for our Tigers. They are who we thought they were in the loss to Oklahoma. Entertaining but just incredibly frustrating. And when you look at, back on the season as a whole, there was a really good microcosm of the season. How do you categorize uh, this year for Conzo Martin and the Tigers? Is this still something to kind of feel good about or no? No, I mean, it was a big yikes to the end of that season. That was a big yikes. That was not a good ending to that season. I, I mean, you look at it, it was Mark Smith finally steps up his game a little bit. You have Drew Smith, who's the standout of the team against Oklahoma more points, puts up more points than Jeremiah Tillman. And I just look at this situation and you think it's frustrating. You know, you get to this point and Missouri has consec, you know, they've lost consecutive games in the NCAA tournament for six years now. So you, you kind of get to that point where you're expecting the loss there. But I feel like this season it burned more because the start of the season was so strong that it really got your hopes up. And the teams that they beat this season, they could have easily won that game had they played to the system that they played when they won these games. And so for me, it was really frustrating to watch. And then in Trumazoo fashion, they come back towards the end of that game, they tie it, and then they lose it by two baskets. I mean, it's just, it's so typical. Some of the teams Mizzou beat are still playing. Oregon, Oregon ran Iowa out of the, 
out of the yard today. Oral Roberts, uh, Mizzou made look really bad. And you mentioned Mark Smith, and I'm going to get to Frank here. Mark Smith looked better in like the first like five or six minutes than he's looked in his entire Mizzou career. And then they just decided not to let him shoot anymore. And it seemed like he was never out there again. Frank, what did you think about some of the coaching decisions in this game? The personnel groupings confused me. Tillman, even though he was in foul trouble, he's got to be out there, I think, more. And the Xavier Pinson decision at the end of the game is what Mizzou fans are talking about today. Yeah, uh, Conzo felt more comfortable with uh, Bugs playing defense and distributing the ball than he did with Pinson. I don't know if, if the game is on the line. I think I got to go with Pinson, even though he's an erratic player who can hurt you. Yeah, the, 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 the coaching decisions were second-guessed and for a reason. But when I look at this Mizzou personnel, I think, you know what, they did win a lot of games. They did make the NCAA tournament. I don't think they underachieved. I don't think, you know, let's face it, at the beginning of the season, they were picked to finish 10th in the SEC, and, you know, they went to the NCAA tournament. I think the scary thing and the reason a lot of the Mizzou fans are worried is that, okay, you've lost your five, and then there's talk about Torrance Watson leaving, and it looks like Pinson's going to go. I mean, who's going to come back? You're going to bring in a bunch of kids from Springfield, Missouri to play in the SEC next year. Those 18 year old freshman recruits, he's going to have to load up on grad transfers and do it quick. Yeah. I'm uh, I am scared for next year. I think Kobe Brown's going to be a stud, but other than that, I really don't know. I saw the two kids from Kickapoo play uh, against Chaminade the other day. I mean, they were good high school players, but like you said, I don't know if they can, I don't know if you want to really count on them to, to get wins in the SEC, and yeah, I think Pinson is gone. Andy, uh, is this logically the best we can hope for from a, a Conzo-led team? Is this just good enough? Uh, I'm I'm at a loss here. You know, I don't I don't know. You know the you know the fact that you haven't, haven't won an NCAA tournament game in 12 years now is uh, is bad. You know, is 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 enough? I mean, you go back Tyus said, and you go back. You know, falling short. You know, in the uh, in the elite eight and uh, Norfolk State. So, the, so, so exactly. So there's a Northern Iowa. Um, so there's a lot of. I mean, there's a lot of history there. And you know, Conzo, of course, is not is not responsible for any of that. Um, but to your point, I don't know. Uh, I you know, I'm I'm beginning to kind of question it what he's he is going to have to load up next year and and bring in you know fifth year players and uh and grad transfers uh, you know in order to to be competitive in the sec but we still are going to have to see we have to see some recruits the recruiting pool be built back up so that he can uh, you know he can start establishing a team i don't know the jury's still out I'll tell you i hope he's got cam fletcher's uh ear there in the transfer portal and it is started working that the second they uh, they got eliminated because uh, they need talent and he would bring it. So hoping for that. I will say uh, my little Mizzou tangent here. I did. I had fun watching Mizzou this year because of two guys, Drew Smith and Jeremiah Tillman. I would watch the game just for them, especially Tillman, because he's from here. We saw how hard it was for him at times at Mizzou, and he really put it all together. I, I don't know. Frank, uh, can maybe speak to this actually I don't know if he's ever going to get a chance in the NBA he's got an NBA body I think he should but he's definitely going to play basketball somewhere making money which uh, good for him because that's a kid who's really uh, really matured in his time at Mizzou well I could picture him um, like not being drafted 
but a team like say the Miami Heat, you know, placing him in the G League, developing him for a couple of years, and then, you know, getting that body a little bit more chisel. I don't think his body's changed that much, but the fact that he does have skill and he runs so well, and he's a, he seems like a great kid. I, I think that, you know, there's a chance, but, you know, if he goes to Europe, he goes and gets paid, but he also is kind of off the radar. If he goes in the G League, he's constantly being looked at. It wouldn't shock me if he gets in the league, though. Let's move on. We'll talk some Cardinals just over a week until opening day, even though the weather looks like it's getting ready for baseball season now. Some nice days here in St. Louis. Uh, hopefully the humidity stays off for a while. Let's start with this. Uh, when a guy hits like John Nagowski hits in spring with an OPS over 1,000 and an average nearing 400, it, it is spring. But is that a guy you have to find a spot on the bench for, Frank? I don't think so. Um I wish, you know, I think this last, these last six games are kind of key. If you see Nagowski a little bit in the outfield, then you're thinking, you know what? They believe they're going to bring him north. But if you don't see him in the outfield and you only see him at first base, then he's just not versatile enough. So I, I'd love to see it because it means that spring trading matters and performance matters. But I think it's, it's less than 50-50. I hope I'm wrong. Speaking of bench roles, uh, just what in the world do the Cardinals do with Matt Carpenter? I mean, last year, Frank and I, multiple times on the Sports Plus podcast when we were doing them live, we were hyping up Matt Carpenter because we thought he was going to have a comeback year. It didn't happen. And now he's one for 29 in the spring. The contract gets him on the team, but I don't want him taking any at-bats away from Tommy Edmond, who can certainly look like he can do more from that leadoff spot. Andy, what do you think they do with Matt Carpenter? He scares me to death. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, he's the, he's the, he's the inverse of the, the Nagowski, um, you know, uh, what do you do with him because he's hitting so well. All right. Matt Carpenter does have a body of work, but that's a few years past now. This is starting to be maybe who the real Matt Carpenter is. And so I think you've got to really look long and hard. Do you want this guy taking up a roster spot? And not only that, but it's, Hey Matt, can you go get me a cup of coffee or you know or something like that? I I don't know that I uh, you know, stay away from that glove, Matt. No, we don't need you in the field here. You know, uh, stay away from the bat rack so that the hitters can get at their bats. I'm I'm really concerned. We know how loyal Mike Schilt can be. I think this is going to be the most interesting uh, relationship between him and a player that we've seen since he's been a manager. Uh, uh, with him and Matt Carpenter. Hannah, it's been announced another veteran, Adam Wainwright, getting the second start of the season behind Jack Flaherty, which means he'll start the home opener. He, on the other hand, has looked great. Something just seems right about Wainwright pitching to Molina in a Cardinals home opener in front of fans at Bush Stadium, doesn't it? Absolutely. I think that's what, what fans want to see, right? I mean, it's just the essence of Cardinals tradition. I wanted to look up how many wins they had together. I was like, I, I can't remember I was trying to look at the exact time that both of them started their win. So Wainwright's debut on September 11th of 2005 with Molina, the 2-0, has seen 12,000, more than more than 1,200 wins. And they have one losing season together. And only the Dodgers, Yankees, and Red Sox have more wins than the Cardinals during that duo's era. And you're just thinking of that. And you compare that to those three organizations and for that duo to bring that to St. Louis and then to see them in what could be their last appearance together you never know um, I think it's just so special 
we're going to get some good sound bites after that game too. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that, but I, this will never happen, but how cool would it be if they like surprise, well, Wainwright may be mad since he's getting ready for the game, but just like surprise Wainwright and Molina, bring him red jackets before the game starts on opening day and have them playing members of the Cardinals hall of fame. I think that'd be pretty cool, but that's just me uh, having a dream sequence over. Wait a minute, rigging an election? Where have I heard this from before? <laughs> but we'll talk Cardinals Hall of Fame here uh, maybe next week or the week going forward because I've got some thoughts on that. But let's talk blues here. Uh, some blues hot topics. They continued some success they had over the weekend, hopefully uh, Monday night when we're recording this against Vegas. Hannah, there's a weekend that saw Jordan Cairo kind of bust out again on the O'Reilly and Perron line. He had gone quiet for a little while after – he was the talk of the town. How could he benefit? How is he benefiting from playing with uh, that top line? Well, I think when you put him with two players like that, I mean, those are two elite players in the league, right? Even David Perron with one of the longest winning streaks in the National Hockey League this season. And you just look at the ways they can benefit each other. Ryan O'Reilly can make any single player he plays with on a line 10 times better. And I think Jordan Cairo has those increased minutes. He has that opportunity. When he's playing with guys who aren't setting him up as much, you do see a difference. And I don't think he's really reached his full capacity to be able to take over the puck, take over an ice rink and execute. But when you're playing with guys like Orion O'Reilly, who can set up and do all those little things to get you that puck in the perfect position in front of the net, the way that other people can't, I think you're seeing how that pays off. Frank, you talked to Ryan O'Reilly on Sports Plus uh, Sunday night, which will here at the end of this podcast you asked him if it was easy as if the blues get healthy they're fine and he just essentially said well no that's not it we should be better right now as we are anyways yeah well you'd expect that for him to say that and that's the way a captain should should sound but you know i thought about this when they won the stanley cup they had bo meester petrangelo and pareko three six foot five or bigger defensemen who they got out there now who's six foot five or bigger defenseman. I mean, I think Craig Ruby has done an unbelievable job and they're getting a little bit healthier now with Sanford back with Robert Thomas back. Um, I, I just want to see, you know, what they're going to be like when that full roster is out there. Andy, I think you remember in 2006 when the Cardinals had this really mediocre season and I can remember being in San Diego and it's around the batting cage and Walt Jockey says, he looked out at that team and he goes, yeah, this is the team I like. And I'm wondering if Doug Armstrong is ever going to be able to say, if Pareko comes back from this mysterious back injury, if he's going to be able to say, yeah, this is the team that I had in mind, you know, before the playoffs start. I, ho I hope that's the case. I think, uh, I think I'm in agreement with you, but boy, when you're talking about a back injury, boy, that's the ultimate dice roll, I would think, in, in athletics and certainly when in a physical sport like hockey. So, I mean, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be keeping your fingers crossed through the entire playoffs as far as the Blues would go, that nothing happens to, you know, to, uh, for Pareko to have a setback with his back. Um, but, you know, it is shaping up in that direction. And I know Craig Berube talked today about the fact that the, the Blues are trending away from uh, the, the many penalties that they were taking in the, uh, you know, earlier in the season. And, you know, that's something that you have to have in the playoffs because you do not want to find, you know, put the other team on the, on the power play in the playoffs. And so, you know, that's one area in which the Blues seem to be trending in a favorable manner. Last thing here, uh, Blues-wise, I actually just thought of since they're playing the Golden Knights here, 
uh, Frank and Hannah can maybe speak to this more, but Alex Petrangelo on long-term injured reserve for the Golden Knights, just how serious is his, his hand, right? Just how serious is that? Is he not going to play? <laughs> When's he going to play for uh, Vegas again? Are we ever going to get a homecoming here? Well, it's not just a hand, it's a wrist. And as we saw with Robert Thomas, your hand and wrist, especially your wrist, that doesn't improve, you know, during the course of an NHL season. And when people know about that, they'll go after it. So, yeah, this could be a real washout season for the former Blues captain. All right, that's the horn. Time for the final buzzer question this week. A personal favorite of mine. Uh, should there be a universal DH in baseball by now? Arizona Diamondbacks pitcher and Cardinals draft pick, actually. Zach Gallen made some headlines today. We're recording this Monday. He's hurt because of an arm injury he suffered in spring training while hitting. So the DH debate swirling around online again. It's been teased forever. Thought it might be part of uh, the agreement for this year in baseball. Or, and well, we saw it last year uh, for the COVID shortened season. It still seems inevitable, but yet it's still not here. So give me your best argument for or against the DH. Annie, you go first. All right. I'm, I've been in the traditionalists camp for years uh, saying that the National League should be separate from the American League. But I'm starting to, I'm starting to see that if, if MLB wants to keep up uh, you know, and not you know, drift into third and fourth place among the sports, they're going to have to find ways to, to, excite, you know, to excite the fans to get the fan base um, excited. And aside from about two or three pitchers, uh, you know, Shohei Otani, of course, is, is one of them. Who wants to see a pitcher hit? Uh, I think they're going to have to really consider about bringing the DH and making it a universal thing. Hannah? Um, I was actually, I looked this up a while back. I don't know if you guys looked at any of the numbers um, from 2020. So sorry if I get too nerdy here, but six of the 15 primary DHs were paid more than $20 million in 2020. Seven of those were the highest paid on their team. And if you actually look at the numbers, so National League teams batted 246 in 2020, which is actually five points worse than without the DH in 2019. Letting pitchers hit, NL teams scored 4.8 runs per game in 2019, but with the DH in 2020, that average dropped to 4.7. And so for a team like St. Louis, if you're going to pay that big dollar and try to compete with some of these teams, the way that the AL pays some of their DHs actually doesn't equal to the assets that you're getting for it. Hannah dropping stats on us. I like it. All right. All right. Frank, what do you got? Okay. Well, as a person who watches a gazillion college baseball games and has watched a gazillion high school games over the last four or five years, let me just say this. In high school, pitchers rarely hit. In college, they never hit. So you're expecting a guy who puts away his bat and his batting gloves at age 16 to pick them up again when they're 22 or 25, when they get to the big leagues and try to catch up with, you know, Adam Wainwright's curveball or Noah Syndergaard's fastball or Zach Grinke's breaking ball. It's the stupidest thing ever. You, it, the, if you're not hitting from age 16 to 24, what makes you think you're going to do the most difficult thing in sports and hit a baseball? That's a good point that I think people might not think of because it didn't always used to be that way. Usually in high school, the pit, well, still usually the, the pitcher is the best athlete. 
and they would hit two and then they'd hit wherever they went after that. But now uh, specialized roles in different leagues and stuff. Yeah. There's DHs all the way until you get back to the major leagues. And I'm going to echo most of what Andy already said, and it feels sacrilegious to me uh, to say this, but yeah, I, I think I'm starting to come around as well because I was one of those old curmudgeon NL guys, mostly just because I like weird things and baseball has a lot of weird stuff and pitchers hitting is weird and it creates some cool and fun moments. And that I, that's one of the things that I, I really like about baseball that has the charm like that. But then I think a little harder and think, okay, it's not really worth it. And it's kind of stupid. So I, I get it and it's coming eventually. So I'm going to uh, try and get on board. And I think it's really going to help the Cardinals out here in a few years when they want to get Nolan Gorman to the big leagues on a, a full-time basis. So I, I guess I'm on board, although I'm not happy about it. <laughs> so as I mentioned earlier, we're now going to hear from Blues captain Ryan O'Reilly on his team season. His first year as captain so far, a little bit on life and even those funny commercials. Here's Frank with Ryan O'Reilly. So Ryan, there can't be a better story of gratitude in sports than your mother, Bonnie, donating her kidney to the former rink manager, Graham Nesbitt. I'm wondering, when you first heard that news, what was your reaction? And is she tougher than any teammate you've ever had? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, absolutely. Um, she is. She's just an incredible person. Um, I know I wasn't, uh, I wasn't really shocked um, or surprised because, you know, that's just the person she is, you know, she's one so generous, everyone in her family and her mom was the same way. So generous. I know you don't wish any ill will to your former team Buffalo, but that organization right now is a mess. Do you ever think about here you are with a Stanley cup ring, Stanley cup MVP, the C on your Jersey. Do you ever have to pinch yourself? I, I can't believe the situation that I'm in. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, can't thank really Doug Armstrong enough for uh, letting me be a part of this organization, the Blues, and how amazing they are. And, you know, I try not to think about it because I keep trying to, you know, focus and, and stay in the moment and, you know, focus on getting better and, and winning the next game and getting our team back on track. But uh, there are those times where you look back and, and think, uh, who knows, you know, something different could have happened and could have been somewhere else and uh, not, uh, not get to St. Louis and be a part of such a great organization. In terms of getting your team back on track, is it a case where as soon as we're healthy, we are going to be just fine? Is that the way you look at it? Uh, no, not at all. Um, obviously missing key players, which is always difficult, but you know, we have great depth and you know, I don't, I don't want to say too much on it because I, you know, it's between us guys in this room, but um, you know, it's, it's on myself and the leaders the guys that see the big minutes, the guys that have been here for a while, it's, you know, we have to step up and, and get this, get this thing moving in the right direction. Has your role changed at all since you officially put the C on there? Are you doing the exact same things this year as you did last year? No, um, I, I think it's different. I think I feel more responsibility. You know, you wear a C, you, um, yeah, I think automatically you just, something's going wrong. I think it's my job to find a fix for it, but it's a good challenge. You know, I'm excited for it. I, I, I can see there's growth to be had and uh, you know, if I can do that and, and, and build this better, you know, we're going to be in a much better position. Our former great quarterback in St. Louis, Kurt Warner used to say that when he got to a certain level, his coach stopped yelling at him. I'm wondering, 
Does Craig Berube stop yelling at Ryan O'Reilly after the seasons you've put together for him? Um, not, uh, I think it's different, not the way he would to, I guess, maybe a, a younger player, but, um, you know, she's very respectful, but he's very honest too. And I think he leans on myself and leadership group and sometimes might be, you know, different, whether it's yelling or, or, or just talking to us, but, uh, he's got a great feeling. And I think for myself can handle kind of any approach that's there. Hey, your car shield commercials are a big success. Everybody loves them. I'm wondering which of the three, you, Patrick Maroon, or Darren Pang was the best actor? Who needed the most takes to get their parts right? Well, I'm gonna, I don't wanna sue him, sue him but uh, yeah, the big rig, uh, he struggled with a few, uh, few of the things on the prompter. Took him a little while for that. And uh, uh, I think uh, I was second, I had a few, uh, few mistakes in there but uh, Panger was obviously lights out he was just a professional you know he only took a few takes for everything so uh yeah we we're trying to learn from him <laughs> have to ask you about the guitar too how good are you could you go on tour eventually full-time oh I would need a lot of work before that but uh I I do love playing um it's actually been a little difficult since kind of my kids uh you know having two kids now and them getting a bit older um, don't have as much time to play, but, uh, I try to still travel with one. You know, I've got a little, little ukulele I bring with me and try to, you know, trying to learn that a bit better. Um, the odd time we'll travel with a larger one, a travel guitar and, and mess around, but it's, uh, it's a great hobby, you know, might not, uh, very good though, but you get lost in it. Finally, how would Ryan O'Reilly like to be remembered, say 10 years from now? Um, that's a very tough question. Um, a uh, multi-Stanley Cup winner. That will do it for this week's episode of the Sports Plus Podcast. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Be sure to download, subscribe, as well as rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great week.